Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that deals with the practice of content marketing in the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and wherever you are in this big wide world of ours, thank you for giving up some of your very valuable time because today we have a very special guest. They are all special guests, but today we're really going to learn from someone who has been right at the middle of probably the biggest transformation of government communications that we tend to refer to. So we'll come to that in a moment. But as we do each week, we start with a definition of exactly what it is that we're talking about when we refer to content marketing and the public sector. Content marketing is an evidence-based, strategic, measurable, and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So my guest today is Sean Larkins, the Director of Consulting and Capability for the Government and Public Sector Practice of WPP, the world's largest communication services group. Sean was previously Deputy Director of the UK Government Communication Service, where he led part of the reorganisation of the UK government's approach to building a centralised communication strategy. Sean was responsible for almost 4,000 government communicators and helped to lead the the UK government to embrace what was then a bit of a taboo with politicians and officials, that is, the role of new media. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him about that. Sean is currently in Australia and New Zealand this month to talk about his experiences in setting up and running the UK government services. And he joins me now in the studio. Sean, welcome to Canberra, welcome to Australia, and welcome to In Transition. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Sean, it's, it's, it's the great case study in public sector um, communications, the UK government, driven by the crisis that you genuinely had. Can you take us back to those earliest days about what happened and, and what you did to respond to that change? Mm, yeah, there's, I mean, there is a saying which is never waste a good crisis. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that we had to deal with very much uh, as a government issue in, in 2010. As you'll be aware, the financial crisis hit in late 2008. Governments around the world found that they didn't have the money that they had expected to have in terms of kind of tax income and various other bits and pieces. Um, we had a change of government. Uh, it was the first coalition since Winston Churchill. They wanted to do things in a very, very different way. Um, and the previous government had a reputation, um, rightly or wrongly, for communicating too much. And uh, one of the first things that the incoming administration asked us were three very simple questions. Uh, How much do you spend on government communications? Uh, How many people do it and is it any good? And then purely just because of the way governments are structured, we didn't know. know, There was no central body that added up everything that, uh, that constituted communications. In fact, there wasn't really a definition of what communications was. How far do we, do we push the boundaries of that, for example? Citizen engagement, dealing with journalists, obviously is communications, but how about some of the stuff that we do online? Or what about digital publishing? So there was no concept of what communications 
really kind of stood for. And then in terms of how many people did it, there was no sense of government communications being a profession. We didn't know who was doing communications. We didn't know where they were, what they were working on. Um, and then in terms of, of evaluation, we certainly did some great stuff. And the example I always, I always talk about is the London 2012 Olympics. Communications around that were done, by very, done very successfully by government communicators. But we didn't evaluate much of what we did, or maybe just one or two of the very, very big programs. So we couldn't answer those questions, and we did a bit of rooting around and a bit of research, and we started counting, and we pretty much... Um, relatively quickly found a figure of about well, about $2.5 billion a year being spent on communications, Whoa. probably more. And that put us up in, in European terms, in terms of people like uh, Procter & Gamble and, and Unilever. <laughs> and we slowly started to find you know, all of these people within communications functions and communications teams and people embedded in policy. And there were probably around about 7,000 people working in government communications. That excluded local government, excluded the emergency services, it excluded the health service, for example. And then, as, as I said, as, as to the question of is it any good, some of it genuinely, I think, was world-leading. It's just that we couldn't demonstrate which of the bits we were doing was world-leading. So as you've un unpacked this and you've got it all sitting around in all these different pieces everywhere else, how did you go about putting it back in together um, around this government communication service and... And how did you make decisions around what was in, what was out, what was important, what wasn't important? Well, firstly, we um, we had to ask the government, what do you want to be? You're, you're, yeah. a, you're a new government. You're a new administration. Um, it's 2010. What do you want to be known for by the time 2015 comes? Where are your, where, where are your priorities? Um, what do you want to achieve? Um, and from that... Um, it gave us some some kind of very clear steers about what the government wanted to achieve, but also some very clear challenges in terms of how to f functionally deliver that. You know, there was no what I would term a head office function for government communications. Mm. Uh, the buck never seemed to stop with anybody. There was a lack of accountability. Uh, ministers and their departments pretty much set their own agenda rather yeah. than working to a government agenda. And so the first issue for us was to create that kind of sense of, it's probably the word I most overuse, overuse over the last kind of four or five years, but that, that sense of discipline. Yep. You know, we need to run government communications uh, less as a kind of free-for-all and more as a kind of business. And so putting in some kind of business measures around that. We needed someone to be ultimately responsible. So we recruited a, a new executive director for government communications that had a hotline right into number 10. Mm -hmm. We looked at the, the governance model so that um, we would... We we could work to a, a single cross-government agenda. We started to rigorously pull apart the priorities that each department said they had. So we were focusing on fewer issues and doing them better rather than communicating about the opening of an envelope. At one stage, we were, we were talking to ministers about their communication priorities and we came up with a list of 186. Now, yeah. with the best will in the world, uh, you know, 186 <laughs> is not a list of priorities. It's, ju it's, just an, it's just a list, really. Let's be honest, it's, it's, just, it's just a list. So there were some structural things that we needed to kind of put right. Yeah. That, that sense of kind of high-level leadership. Yeah. Um, we needed to, to, to demonstrate to our political and policy 
colleagues that communications when done well is an investment not an expense you know we need to get much better at at bringing consistency across government communications and looking at how we evaluate how we develop strategy Um, but also at the same time to take a look outside of government and realize fundamentally the world has changed you know huge changes in in citizen behaviors and expectations you know the rise of of the smartphone is is game-changing and and australia is one of the top four countries in terms of smartphone use so you know the idea that we can broadcast messages and people listen to them the idea that in 2010 or even today in 2015 uh, governments are the most trusted voice in society of course is completely gone so Mm. levels of trust have changed how people consume media has changed technology has changed and it's continuing to change at a very fast rate and yet the vast majority of people in government communications issued press releases and you know I remember speaking at a conference in in London and saying the press release is dead and I barely thought I'd make it alive out the door because most people have great skills in managing journalists and engaging with journalists. But hang on a minute, you know, getting on the front page of a daily newspaper might get you 40,000 readers. And as in many countries, our newspapers tend to be either left of centre or right of centre. So you're either preaching to people that will never take on your message or you're preaching, preaching to the converted. And how about... All of these people like bloggers and vloggers that have hundreds of thousands of followers and they're incredibly influential because they don't have a set agenda and yet we shy away from them. That doesn't make sense. So so our reform programme really was, I suppose, kind of twofold. One is to look at the, the structure and the processes and the skills we needed within government and then secondly to identify and acknowledge society has changed and adapt and respond to that and and there's something that we all particularly all of us in communications kind of know by osmosis yeah um and yet we forget about which is we have seen over the last 20 years the biggest change in human communication for over 14,000 years you know 14,000 years give or take a decade or two um is when humans first started living in communities uh, and in and in settled groups of people, and since that time, there's always been a better and an elder. You know, it was our village, our village elder, if you like, uh, or our shaman, or our priest, or our rabbi, or our imam. And over the last two hundred years, national governments, and over the last sixty, seventy, eighty years, organisations like the ABC and the B- and the BBC, we yeah. looked to them, we trusted them, we listened to them. That doesn't happen anymore. We mm. listen to bloggers and vloggers we listen to celebrities we go online to a website like TripAdvisor and we trust people that we have never met that are writing something independently that we're interested in so that authority that sense of being at the center of national life and the national debate that governments once had has been swept aside now it's it's it, it is obvious that these changes have taken place but governments are notoriously risk averse they're notoriously hierarchical, bureaucratic. How do you get the message across that it's time to change and it's time to change to a, a better way that will enable you to spend less money, possibly, um, but to be more effective, to, to reach citizens and um, stakeholders? Yeah. As I think as with any major change program, there's a, a, a mix, a healthy mix, I have to say, between carrot and stick. Right. You know, we know that politicians, um, most of them, understand the digital agenda. 
yeah. but not all of them. No. So for some of those, we just have to demonstrate what works. Um, we have to be much better at looking at both uh, outputs, outtakes and outcomes so we can get the evidence uh, to demonstrate that our new ways of engaging with people work. But also, you're absolutely right about bureaucracies. And I, and I have spent the vast majority of, of my career in, in public service, and I don't mean this in a, in a demeaning way at all, but sometimes bureaucracies and big structural organisations engender a spirit of what you might call jobsworthness. We've always done it like yes. this. And yep. a fear of change. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, in countries like Australia, with a very, very short electoral cycle, just three years at federal level, you know, if you if you want to avoid change, there will be somewhere probably in the public service where you can keep your head down until the next um, big idea comes along. And we had to make it very clear. This is something that the Prime Minister has endorsed. This is something that the Cabinet wants. This isn't something that's being imposed or instituted by communications experts. This is a fundamentally different way of government engaging with the public. So you really do need the Prime Minister and the Cabinet to say, this is a priority, get on with it. Yeah, and of course that gets delegated. Cabinets and and Prime Ministers and Premiers are are very, very busy people. But yeah, the buck needs to stop with someone. You know, you need a figurehead at the top of the communications profession. You need absolutely someone at the the most senior levels of government to say, I want this change. Yes, of course, we can provide all of those carrots around support and guidance and training. training yeah. But actually, we need to see change. So one of the, the, the biggest things that we did in the, in the early days um, was change the reporting lines for directors of communications. Now, if, I was, if I'm in a, in a government department in the UK, historically, uh, I've been recognised, rewarded, judged on the contribution I make to that department. Yeah. But if my work for that department absolutely upsets the apple cart for the rest of government. There was no sanction. There was no incentive for me to yeah. support government as a whole. So we introduced things like matrix management. You know, you couldn't do a great job within your own department and a useless job for government as a whole and still pass. I mean, that was that was almost a kind of symbol, symbol if you like, or, or an emblem of a, of a greater cultural shift, which is to get people working in government communications to realise... I am working for government. I'm working on behalf of the Prime Minister's priorities. I may be based in the Foreign Affairs Ministry or the Health Ministry or the Communities Ministry, but at the end of the day, I am here to support the government deliver its policy priorities. Mm. I'm not here to deliver vanity products. Projects. Yeah. I'm not here to undermine another department or another part of government. We are working together as a single service. Mm. And frankly... With that single strategy and that plan... Absolutely. To see that document where you have all those heads of communications all signing off in the UK, they're all signed off on that one plan. Yeah, dipping hands in the blood, I'm afraid. (laughs) It's a a kind of blunt saying. But yeah, yeah, everybody needs to be accountable and responsible. And so that really was the the kind of thinking behind setting up the government communication service. Yeah. Beforehand, you you didn't need any kind of qualifications in communications to work in communications. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I firmly believe government communications are, are important and they are important for all manner of reasons, not least the fact that no government policy priority has ever been delivered successfully 
without successful communications. Yeah. So we are not just a press release. We are not just the people deciding whether something should be designed in green or in pink. You know, we are fundamentally <laughs> at the heart of the policy making process. Yeah. And if that's the case, you know, we need the discipline yeah. of being a professional profession. We yeah. shouldn't have jobbing amateurs doing government communications <laughs> tasks. Frankly, it's just too damn important to leave it to people that don't have the skills. That's true, or the but you know, the policy people you know, the important policy people often see the communications as, you know, the colouring in department, you know, the guys who will, you know, how do you, how do you change that? How, well, how have you been able to change that in, in the UK to, I mean, to, in, to put it at that central, fundamentally strategic role that communications yeah. really has to I mean, to in be. some areas, it's a, it's a slow burn. And, yeah. uh, and there's a saying that we use in the UK, which I'm not quite sure translates into Australia's into Australia vernacular. So I'll, I'll kind of explain <laughs> it, which is about cobbler's kids. Oh, you know, yeah. so in the UK, cobbler's yeah. kids are always the ones with the worst with shoes the because shoes, yeah. their parents are making shoes for everybody else. Yeah. Government communicators never communicate about what they can do. Yeah. So we had to absolutely focus on on evidence. We absolutely had to go out and talk to the policy community. We had to go out and talk to permanent secretaries. We had to go out and talk to politicians. Uh, we had to be seen to be visible. Uh, we had to look at where we could find allies um, and work on projects right from the very beginning of policy development and then communicate the changes that we had made. And frankly, we had to have some open and honest conversations with some policymakers, increasingly in developed countries, increasingly in countries like the United Kingdom and also places like Australia and New Zealand, um, we cannot afford um, for everybody to access a government service. So a lot of what we do mm. is around demand minimisation. Yeah. Now, in some respects, then the policy becomes communication. I think the other point I would make, um, and it is, a, it is a truism, and that is governments are hugely complex structures. But at the end of the day, what are the key things that a government can do? Well, it can introduce legislation, yep. um, and we can see from some of the dialogue that comes out of that's come out of federal uh, and state politics over the last couple of weeks. Getting legislation right is difficult. Yep. Um, we can regulate. Yep. I've never met a single citizen that likes to be told what to do in that level of detail. Uh, we can tax, not very popular, or we can communicate. And so sometimes communication is not just the cheapest and most effective thing, actually it becomes a policy mm. in itself. And we can see that in all manner of debates. We have, we've had a debate on and off in the UK for a long time around should there be a, a soda tax or a sugar tax introduced. So every mm. time you and I buy a can of Coke, we charge an extra 10 cents or whatever it is. There's great evidence from around the world that shows that legislating or regulating or taxing on issues like that do not work. They don't engage the public. They're easy to avoid. But actually, looking at things like communications, looking at things like, you know, nudge techniques and behavioural psychology um, is absolutely where communications should be leading. So we have to work hand in hand with policy colleagues. We are not the people to colour in at the end. Mm. So, so with that, um, the UK has made great progress, continues to make great progress, not only in standardising methodologies and processes that then are... Uh, you know, templated across the organisation, training. Where then, and, and we have a global audience for this podcast, and I, and I do speak to a number of people, and it's, you know, the first bit, and, and you have alluded to it, that it is getting that buy-in from the very, very, very top. But 
what else can be done if you don't have that buy-in? What else? What are those simple steps and the simple wins that could people start to make progress to transition from where we've been to where we need to get yeah. to go? Um, I mean, in some respects, it's around asking, asking yourself, asking your colleagues, asking your civil service and your government political colleagues six key questions. You know, firstly, why do we lionise the people that work in press office? Press office has an incredibly you know, media engagement, media management is incredibly, incredibly important, but they're only one channel. So why in so many governments across the world do we see the press office as the bastion of, of importance for communications? Why do we not just see it as one, as one, uh, one channel? Secondly, why is most of our engagement with the public through journalists? You know, there are, you know, there are community organisations, civil society, there are bloggers, there are vloggers that are much closer to the public than journalists. The posh word, incidentally, is, is disintermediation of the media, yes. which basically means cutting out the middleman. Yeah. But why does press office always take priority? Why do we focus on journalists to the expense of other, of other civil groups? Uh, why are our communications primarily one way? when we know from survey after survey after survey in all parts of the world that people want meaningful dialogue. So why do we still broadcast messages? Um, we know one of the biggest trends, and you will know this from a content perspective, is making communications visual. Now, I have yet to find um, a minister or a civil servant that is as comfortable communicating visually or through graphics or through pictures as they are with words. Mm-hmm. Which kind of brings us back to kind of points one and two, the, the journalist and the, and the press office. We are uncomfortable in, uh, in, in, in content. Um, most organisations, I think, now uh, realise that, that digital is, is just key to everything. Mm-hmm. And yet my experience of working in, in Europe and Africa is, is governments in particular say, yeah, we get it, digital is really important. So we're going we're gonna to make this person here the digital expert and they'll sit in a caller rather than developing dig- digital skills. And everybody... And finally, we really, really struggle in integrating our communication so that the, the kind of touch points and the tone and the style and the language that we have across, across all levels of government don't match. You know, mm. it confuses the public. So, so yes, that's senior level buying, but I would be suggesting to people these are the six questions they should probably yeah. be asking themselves and probably their bosses and probably their bosses' bosses and then trying to find out how we come to an agreement that things have to change. So okay. asking the right questions I think is absolutely key. Having that senior level buying is absolutely key and being externally focused. You know, the world has changed. Get over it. We need to deal with it. <laughs> and, and with that, how then, let's just say we've, we've asked those questions um, efficiently, effectively, and that, I think that, that's a really nice model that people can quickly take away and implement tomorrow. But then once we've got that buy-in, what are the, what are the steps that, we, that then happen you know, for us to start to move to this more effective, you know, agile, modern way to communicate? I mean, what we found in the, in the UK is that there is a, there's almost a kind of knee-jerk when there's, a, when there's a crisis or there's a big issue. Great, well, we need a new organ, organisational chart. We need a new a, organogram. How do we move people around? Yeah. And actually, that's probably the last thing you want to do. The first thing you want to do is start that process of winning over hearts and minds. You know, how do you, how do you excite people? How do you empower people? How do you get people to uh, enjoy taking risks? And that is a challenge within not just the public sector, within many organisations and, and many sectors. But you have to start with that kind of hearts and minds thing. And we spent a, you know, a great deal of time 
going out and talking to people face-to-face, one-on-one in small groups, listening to people's fears and concerns. You know, listening to people's fears and concerns doesn't mean that you agree to everything, but you can understand their point of view. Yeah. So so going out there and being visible and talking to your colleagues is, is, is absolutely key. I think the second one is around looking at the processes you use. You know, we had no consistency yeah. in process. We had no clear governance model. We had, you know, 17 different ways of developing a campaign. We didn't have a single... Um, approach to evaluation try and bring some consistency to your processes if you have a fantastic approach to evaluation in one department then roll it out across everybody you know make it very clear that the the ideas the good ideas don't necessarily need to come from the center they can come from anywhere i'm you know i'm happy to steal great practice wherever i see it yeah so try and win people's hearts and minds try and find some consistency in that process and only after that Look at structural change, because structural change is the stuff that kind of slows you down and bogs you down uh, and saps the energy out of you. And then regardless of the stage you're at, uh, you need to back that up by investing in your colleagues, in your staff, in communicators, um, investing in training and development, investing in just opening their eyes to possibilities, giving them that little bit of kind of free reign so they can try new ideas. And, um, you know, we found that difficult at first mm. because it because if you are getting people to do new things there is an element of risk politicians in particular are risk adverse but if you don't get people out of that mindset where only safety safe things happen then you get people doing yeah. things that they've tried 10 years ago yeah. and eight years ago and six years ago and four years ago rather than thinking actually what should we be doing now and should that change next year and, and the year after? Yeah. I'm intrigued by the, that training program and very impressed by it, that it's not a, it's not a one-off, you're done. You know, it's, you're educated and then, you know, you get so many units and then see you later. It's a, it's a rolling program that you can jump in and jump out of. What were the areas that you focused on that you felt you need to improve the skills of the government communicator to be to become more effective? Yeah, well, we did a, a series of capability reviews. So we reviewed how every department across government communicated. Um, and also it's important to note this wasn't a review of the communications directorate. It was a review, a, a review of how each government department or ministry communicated. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how good your communications director is, if you've got an organisation that doesn't value or doesn't understand communications, they're always going to struggle. So we, we, we did a warts and all, you know, under the, under the bonnet, look at how each ministry communicated. Mm-hmm. And that was great because we could have an, an action plan for each individual ministry or department. But it gave us, of course, of course, when you look at everything pulled together, a sense of where we're strong and where we're weak across government as a whole. Yeah. Um, and, and as I've already mentioned, you know, we lionised press office Mm. As important as they are, they're not the only the only game in town. So we found that we were we were tactically strong but strategically weak. Right. So we weren't very good at developing strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did some really great marketing, but it was inconsistently okay. applied. So we did some good stuff. We did some poor stuff. Internal communications were in the main, and with one or two uh, notable exceptions, a bit of a basket case. We were lagging behind the private sector in terms of digital communication. So we started to look at a number of areas where we, where we felt we needed everybody to up their game. Yeah. We introduced things like um, compulsory continuing professional development. You know, this is a profession. Yeah. We, you, you are a professional person, in which case, um, if you don't do CPD 
how are you going to stay ahead of the curve? How are you going to develop no skills? So we made everybody uh, do a minimum of four pieces of continuing professional development a year. Uh, we developed a, a training program that looked at a kind of beginner's level. How do we get everybody to a minimum benchmark? And then how do we take people to a higher level and a practitioner and an expert level? So you might come and do some digital training in year one, and year two you'll come and do some more, which is of a, of a, of a higher technique, and year three you might be doing something which is, which is profession leading. And if you're doing stuff which is profession leading, then we'll co-opt you to help do some of the training next year as well. So, <laughs> so we made this a kind of profession-wide yeah. approach. And that thing about CPD actually is the great leveller, you know, from the executive director of government communications to the most junior member of government communications, everybody Everyone's needs to develop this. Absolutely. We're all on a journey. And, and how, what sort of impact has that had on the morale of the communication worker in the UK government? Are they, must they must be motivated and the retention rates must be higher? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you'll have to, you have to remember that during this time we were also looking at we can't afford 7,000 people in no. government communications. <laughs> so we were sadly saying goodbye to not just people that didn't have the skills, but to people that had very good skills that perhaps we didn't need anymore, or people that had very good skills in areas where we needed skills, but we just had too many people. Mm. So, so that was really difficult, reducing, reducing headcount. But yes, you're absolutely right. Once you start to say to people, here is a profession, we're on this journey with you. Mm. Look, our ultimate aim is to make sure that government communicators are the most respected profession within government. And how do we do that? We do that by giving you the skills that you need. We do that by operating in a disciplined and consistent way. We do that by promoting your successes inside and outside of government. We do that by creating partnerships with great organisations like Facebook and, and Google, for example, so that you start to mix um, and learn from you know the best there is, in not just in government, but in the private sector as well. And at the start of that process, we identified about 20 key indicators from the nationwide survey of civil servants that happens each year that look at things like how engaged they are, how motivated they are, whether they trust the, the leadership, whether they're given the freedom to experiment. And on each of those 20 indicators uh, over the course of the four-year programme, those indicators rose every single year. So during a, a time of great change and during a time where many people were seeing some of their kind of long-standing colleagues leave the profession, actually confidence rose. And it rose because people were saying, well, I'm now in a profession where actually I'm respected. I'm doing more interesting things. I'm getting, I'm getting called into policy meetings. <laughs> Goodness me. I'm, I'm seeing in the trade press and in some of our national press really good things about what government is, is, is achieving through communications. Yeah hey, I want to be part, I feel proud to be part of that. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things that we did, which was a really good, a really good almost kind of benchmark for us, is that we took control of entry-level recruitment. So we could actually go out and get the best and the brightest into government. We could give them a really great induction. We could put them on that kind of fast-track journey that we want every young person to, uh, to, to be on in terms of government communications. Um, and actually, by doing that, you know, you start to see some really great young people, you know, the kind mm. of, you know, the kind of digital natives that yeah. we all talk about. Who are bringing, motiv motivated absolutely, by doing good. Bringing in, bringing in skills that perhaps yeah. some of us that are slightly more um, long in the tooth <laughs> didn't have. And at the start of that process, we were probably getting somewhere around four or five applicants per job. 
you know, within about three years, we were getting kind of 50, 60, 70, 80, yeah. sometimes 100 applicants for each job at a time when the economy was growing. You know, people weren't coming into government communications as a last resort. People were coming in as a first resort. And right. that energy yeah. uh, and that sense of there's, a, there's nothing we can't achieve is very, very infectious. And we started to see that across very many parts of government. And it was a, you know, it was a joy to see people proud of what they were doing and respected by their peers elsewhere in government and in the private sector. As an Australian, it kills me. <laughs> why? I, but, but, I mean, I have to, I have I to like... ask why. <laughs> well, well, because we need to aspire to, you know, it is such a great story and it's a, it, it's a simple story. It's a story that you tell, tell me, well, I'm only joking, really. I'm only joking that it kills me. But I, I just admire it so much. I, I, I love the way that you've gone through the process and thought about it so carefully and as you've gone along, you've looked at each issue as it's gone and you have put in a very professional process and approach to improve and... and um, I mean, I'm telling you the good stuff. You know, there were things, got, well, there and, were things and, that didn't work so well. Quite, but, okay, and we'll get to that in a minute. I will ask you a couple would, of those But what questions. I would say, I would say, don't say, don't say, oh, well, it kills me because, <laughs> you know, we've, I've been around, I've been very fortunate to meet a great number of, of government communicators over the course of the last couple of weeks when I've been in, in Australia and in, and in New Zealand. And, you know, you're up there in the top three in the world. I mean, you know, this is something I found when we were doing the UK reform. You go and talk to people overseas, and the three countries that always came up in terms of being the best in government communications, the UK, for which I kind of breathe a sigh of relief, thank you, God, that's great, uh, the Dutch and the Australians. Now, yeah. now, you have some challenges here. Of course you do. You know, the split between yes. federal and state yeah. may, makes sharing a best practice difficult because you have... Different administrations. Yeah, but I, I, I find parties. that as an excuse as much as anything because I, I speak to a lot of people who work in government and try to introduce to them, look at this process that's happened, look at this case study. There is so much, oh, yes, but the answer you get is, oh, yeah, but we're different. Yeah. I, don't think it's we're an different. Ex- I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's a, ch- it's a challenge. It, it and is I, a challenge. And I, and I agree yeah. with you that, that, that we're different. I don't, I no. don't hold truck with that at all. What are you trying to do? Yeah. You're trying to engage with the citizen. You're trying to engage with businesses to make Australia better for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're Simple in game. a territory, you're in a state, you're at federal level. It's the same, it's the same game. Correct. But... You know, I think there's some great stuff that happens, you know, across Australia and New Zealand as well. And some really and I think there are there are areas where, you know, you are better than the UK. You know, the the I think the tone of a lot of the stuff that comes out of of Australia is is much more suited to its audience. Sometimes we're we we're just a little bit kind of formal and, and yeah. risk averse in some of our communication. Sure. Some of the engagement work that you do, you know, really, really detailed citizen and community engagement I, I think is great I think we've struggled we've struggled with some of that I think some of the stuff you do around behavioral interventions and behavior change is world leading so yes. there are some great things that happen here yeah. you know is there a challenge of making you know the but we don't have the one, no. we, we don't have that centralized here we are we're all in this together let's move forward to institutionalize the change no. which but, is really but, the issue but that's, maybe that's... what you what you could do is okay sometimes the sharing across the different levels of government is is difficult but you know i can think of a dozen senior brilliant people that i've met in government communications over the last 2 weeks why don't they informally just get together yeah. you know you don't you know if if there are reasons that stop you 
doing the change that you want to do, then then look at different ways of yeah. doing it. You know, getting together That's a good advice. getting getting that together a advice. you know a, yeah, a, yeah. a group that even if it just kind of meets remotely. Yep. You know, over Skype or something. And once you're right. A the, the, the talents, the there. talents there. Yeah, it's, absolu- no, it's absolutely. It's absolutely. Yeah. There. But as, as someone that's recruited a great many people into government communications in the yeah. UK, I tell you, what, if I had a dollar for every time I'd recruited in Australia, yeah, I'd have about twenty-seven dollars <laughs> more, which wouldn't get me far. But it, but you know, there are you know, yeah. you you export a great many uh, brilliant communicators, and you have even more even more here. Yeah. It's just you're right, seizing the moment or. Uh, making use of that crisis yep. to create some fundamental change. But that's, again, probably the issue that we, we haven't had the crisis. We haven't had the crisis. That, that hasn't happened And here. let's celebrate that. Well, <laughs> let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate. So, so, so try, and find, try and find another way of kind of kick-starting that yeah. change. And sometimes, actually, after, a, yeah, after, a, after an election is a good time, regardless of you know, whether it's incumbents, yeah returning or it's a new party in actually that moment of taking stock what do we okay yeah. we are we've just had an election we've got our mandate from the public what do we want to achieve yeah. and then how are we going to do it those are probably the kind of two biggest questions you can ask yes and I think, what do we want to achieve and how are we going to do and it? i think you've put your finger on it there because i think that where that will be i think the next big opportunity to to think about this well hang on how do we how, how do we build that framework and structure? That's the thing I love is that it's really it's, – it's, it's that organisation around the way you've gone about solving the problems and putting that in place. But I was going to ask you, what, what surprised you along the way where you thought, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen, or we tried that and it was a complete dud, didn't work? So what surprised me, resilience, actually, you know, people that work in government communications and government as a whole are incredibly resilient. They are used to having things thrown at them 24-7. So I think the resilience of, of, of colleagues in a time of great change uh, was something that was really good to see. I mean, in terms of kind of, you know, kind of what didn't work... I mean, I think at the beginning we kind of shied away from having a kind of formal structure to the profession. We just thought, actually, there are really great motivated people here. We'll just, we'll just find opportunities and ways to encourage people to play nicely with each other. Yeah. And that kind of works to a degree. But you will know as well as, as well as I do, you know, each minister and each department or ministry has its own agenda. And if you don't find ways to bring them onto onto the same pitch, they'll start playing different games at different points in time. So I think that I think the rigor and the discipline of having a proper profession and a coordinated way of, of, of working together and holding people to account, we probably would have benefited from doing earlier in the process. Okay. But you know, again we were to a degree working blind. So I think I think that is something that I would I would suggest is really is really important. I think the other thing from us that we could have done uh, slightly different is as part of that process, we started to look at where there were um, policy synergies across different departments and encouraging different departments to work better together. Now, again, without that kind of clear steer from the top, uh, we found that on occasion you, you bring departments together that might have, for example, um, a shared responsibility but different objectives for things like kind of climate change and they start to compete against one another rather than cooperating. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of hubbing people together didn't really work. Okay. So those are probably those are probably the kind of two the two learnings. And that's you know, that might be a uh, as a result of us trying to be a little bit kind of too kind. Yep. You know, we'll just yes, yeah, we, we know what we're trying to do. Now yeah. guys go and play nicely together, yeah. you know a referee always needs a good set of rules to kind of guide the game. And I think we, we could have possibly done that 
okay. done that earlier. Just a couple of final ones. Um, um, just to regular listeners, we are going a little bit over, but we don't often get the opportunity to sit in a room with Sean Larkin, so we're going to take a bit more of his time. Just the just the WPP, the, the government and public sector practice. Give us a little bit of an insight about what you're trying to achieve there. So the, so the WPP government and public sector practice is great. There's a great idea. As, as you said earlier, WPP is uh, the biggest communication Big. services company in the world. We are yeah. in 112 countries. We, have, we work with, with 60 governments around the world, including many at federal and state level here. And actually one of the things that we want to do is to look at how we share best practice. Okay. You know, so uh, it doesn't matter what the issue is, if it's, you know, kind of obesity reduction or it's encouraging people not to smoke or it's tackling domestic violence. There's probably a country somewhere, a government somewhere, where we've, we've supported that yep. approach. And so one of the things that, that we're very keen on and is partly behind my, uh, my trip here is to look at how we can start to share that best practice there is no point in reinventing the wheel now obviously each uh, country and each state and each community have their own foibles if you like they're all they're all unique but quite often there are you know there are some things that we can learn from from one another and that's really at the heart of why we set up the the practice not just to help deliver really good communications with governments and, and government organisations around the world, but actually to share that best practice. And that's something that's incredibly exciting. Okay. And where can people learn a little bit more about WPP and the, the government and public sector practice? Um, so if they if they go on to Google, and at this point I should say, <laughs> and of course other search engines do do exist, but it's normally that. But go on to a search engine. If you, if you, if you um, type into a search box, WPP government practice or government and public sector practice, you'll go straight to our website. And again... There are examples of case studies there that we've done around the world, and if it and if it, you know, sparks different thinking or an idea with people, then that's great. It's been worthwhile. As I, as I said earlier on, you know, government communications is so important because policies do not get delivered without it. And if yeah. there's anything that we can do to help make that process easier, then great. We're very happy with that. Fabulous. Well, Sean, thank you very much for your time today. You're I, very welcome. I really uh, appreciate it, and I know the audience would have appreciated it as well. Everyone knows that I'm a, a massive fan of what's happening in the UK, and I think we'll get there in Australia. And I speak, I jokingly referred to before that it kills me. It doesn't kill me. I'm very proud of the fact that the, the, the Brits have been able to do it well, although I'm equally pleased that we beat you in the Rugby World Cup last year. <laughs> <laughs> and we can turn it on its head and say that we had the crisis first. There we are. Let's, then, be, let's then, be really pleased. Yeah, but again, and, 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 and hopefully we won't have the crisis here and, and we, we'll be able to make the change with it without the crisis and be able to do it, but to learn. You know, it's there, the model's there, um, people such as yourself and, and Alex Aitken and Russell Grossman, everyone very generous with your time. I think that's the other thing I really like about the way um, the UK is going about telling this particular story is that they know there's value in it and they're happy to share time um, with lots of people. So um, on behalf of all of us, thanks for that. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, a very special edition of In Transition. We will be back next week. If you are interested, please send the links around to other people. Give us a review on iTunes and Stitcher. Helps the program to get found. If you have any insights about other people who you would like us to talk to, info at contentgroup.com.au, send it through and we will chase the people up and we can do it on Skype or here in the studio or wherever else. So thanks again for your attention. Sorry we've gone just a little bit over time this week, but it was a great chat and I was pleased that Sean was here and I'll speak to you next week. Music.
You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.